Every event recorded by the four gospel authors is secured within the precise framework of Yeshua going up to each one of the Feast of the Lord, just as he was required to do according to the instructions in the 23rd chapter of Leviticus. At each one of these feasts, Yeshua is either fulfilling the prophetic shadow pictures embedded within them, or interpreting their future fulfillments, so that in the last days, his servants would know that he has indeed told the end from the beginning. Each one of these divinely appointed feasts was reckoned according to the Creator's lunar calendar, which was still in use for more than 288 years after the destruction of the temple. That lunar calendar, thanks to the National Aeronautic and Space Administration, can now be accurately reverse calculated and synchronized with the Julian calendar system, which was instituted more than 40 years before the birth of Yeshua. This is the greatest story never told. It's all about Yeshua, the prophet, the promised Messiah. Join me here in the land of Israel as we take a chronological and archeological journey through the Gospels. You have never seen anything like this before. I'm Michael Rood, prepare for a rude awakening. The first two chapters of both Matthew and Luke detail how the Creator interrupted the course of human events to announce the upcoming fulfillment of two of the most significant prophetic occurrences in the history of the human race. The birth of the prophet who was to prepare the way for Israel's Messiah and the birth of the prophet that Israel must hear and obey, Israel's promised Messiah. The details of how these two children survived is a testimony of how God gives his people revelation information that transcends time and circumvents the maleficent plans of those who have bowed the knee to Satan for a piece of his temporal kingdom. In this series, we have spanned the time from when the Jewish astronomers first saw the signs in the heavens that announced the upcoming birth of the king of the Judeans through Yohanan ben Zachariah's years in seclusion in the wilderness and Yeshua's obscurity as the adopted son of Yosef ben Yaakov, the builder from Netzeret. Luke now provides the historical time parameters that allows us to pinpoint the beginning of the ministries of these two prodigious prophets. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was governor of the Galilee, his brother Philip was governor of Iturea in the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias was the governor of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. It was at this time the word of God came to John the Baptist while he was in the wilderness. He went into the countryside all around the Jordan River preaching. His message, the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. It was the winter of 26 of the Common Era, which was the 15th year since Tiberius Caesar began his co-regency with the ailing Caesar Augustus in the year 12. It was also the end of the 27th year that Herod's son Philip had been ruling Iturea and his other son Herod had been ruling the Galilee since the death of Herod the Great, soon after the lunar eclipse of January 10, 1 BC. Yohanan was still living in seclusion when he received his fatal commission. 
He was to call Israel to repent for their blatant violations of the instructions in the Torah. The people were instructed to baptize and return to a life of obedience, to put into practice the principles of how we are to love God and how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yohanan had been living in the wilderness since Hanukkah of 1 BC when his mother escaped with him during Herod's slaughter of the children. Now, after 27 years of eating locust and wild honey, he was given instructions that will end up costing him his life. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yehovah, make his path straight. To level the mountains of man-made religion and fill in the valleys of social depravity, John shook his finger in the face of both the religious and civil leaders of Israel. Repent or perish. When many Pharisees and Sadducees came to his mikvah, his baptism, he said, oh so delicately, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You snakes, you generation of vipers. Do something that proves you've repented and don't even begin to think to yourselves, Abraham is our father. Ha! Yehovah is able to raise up children Abraham from these lifeless stones. The ax is now laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bring forth good fruit will be hewn down at the root and incinerated in the fire. The Pharisees' most prolific violation of the Torah was the addition of their own manipulative commandments and the deletion of God's commandments that didn't fit their grace perversion lifestyle. They made up their own religion and sheeple followed. Yohanan nailed the feet of the professional religionists to the floor. There was no place to run, nowhere to hide. The people cried, what shall we do? John replied, he that has two coats, let him give to him that has none. He that has food, let him do likewise. Quit chasing the prosperity dream the world dangles before your nose. If you have enough for yourselves, give to those who don't. Publicans, so-called public servants, dishonest officials of a corrupt and self-serving government, came to be baptized. Moray, teacher, what shall we do? He said, exact no more than that which is appointed you. You get paid to do your job. Don't use your position to steal and bribe and think that you won't get caught. You can't hide from God. Soldiers pled with him, what shall we do? He said, do violence to no man. Do not make false accusations. Be content with your wages. Roman soldiers shook with conviction when Yohanan warned them that they too were going to have to answer to Almighty God for their actions. Obviously, they were not content with their wages. They fabricated false charges and extorted money from those that they accused. They terrorized those who were powerless to defend themselves. They had systematically disarmed the people and they had no way to resist the tyranny of Rome's elite thugs. But there was one man in the land of Israel who was not afraid to stand up and speak the truth to those who could have killed him and no one would have dared said a word. The grasshopper-eating, fire-breathing prophet, Yohanan ben Zachariah, John the Baptist. The people were sincerely hoping for the coming of the Messiah. Everyone was asking, is not this the Messiah? 
Yohanan confessed, I immerse you in water, but one is coming after me who is mightier than I. I am not even worthy to unloose his sandals to wash his feet. He is the one who is coming to immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Months later, the Sanhedrin sent Levites and priests to confront Yohanan. There was a mikvah and immersion pool in every community and more than a hundred on the Temple Mount. Why are you doing this outside of our officially sanctified venues? Yohanan was making them look bad. Multitudes flocked to the wilderness to hear a real prophet and then returned to their dead congregations with renewed spiritual vitality, a zeal for the commandments of God that replaced the social allure of Phariseeism. Yohanan was emphatic. Heaven would not hear their prayers nor give them relief from Rome's oppression until they repented and came back to the obedience of God's commandments. He was not teaching some new doctrine. Like the prophets of old, he was calling the nation back to the obedience of the Torah. Unless they were in a right relationship with their creator, there would be no deliverance from Rome's totalitarian new world order. The common people, the silent majority repented. Tens of thousands immersed themselves in water to start life all over again. The past was washed away. They committed themselves to the obedience of the scriptures and began walking away from organized religion. John the Baptist was not a Baptist, nor was his name John. His name was Yohanan. He was the son of an Aaronic priest, a Kohen and he was doing something of which every Israelite was intimately familiar. Yohanan ben Zechariah Hakon was calling the people to repentance and inviting them to immerse in the Jordan River as a mikvah. As the disciples prepare to commemorate Purim, the story of how Queen Esther's bravery saved the Israelites from certain death, Yeshua receives word that his friend Lazarus is gravely ill. Yet Yeshua does not come to his aid until all seems lost, just like the story of Purim. This month, Michael Root presents an exclusive new teaching, Purim, the Lazarus Parable. This is one of the many times in the Gospel of John where a scribe added in a description that was not in the original text. Purim, the Lazarus Parable is Michael Root's new teaching from the 20-episode Love Gift teaching series. And the only way you can get it is with your love gift donation in March. We have to understand what they, the scribes and Pharisees, teach. You know, they who will not see the kingdom of heaven, we have to understand what they're saying. The Torah says one thing, but how they read it can be something different. Own Purim, the Lazarus parable, right now, when you give a love gift donation of $50 or more. Or donate $100 or more to get this new teaching, plus the story of Esther on a scroll a Megillah concealed in an elegant wooden case. This scroll includes the entire biblical book of Esther, English on one side, Hebrew on the other, illustrated in full-color classic artwork. And the case features a leather-like wrap with gold embossing and a metallic seal depicting the story of Esther. Get this attractive showpiece now, plus Michael Rue's new teaching, Purim, the Lazarus Parable. Whatever you give away, whatever you forfeit for me, you'll receive back a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. 
Act now to get Michael Rood's new teaching, Purim, the Lazarus Parable, plus the Scroll of Esther. Hurry, this offer is only available in March. Make your love gift donation now, online or by phone. Michael Rood's Message of Truth is broadcast all over the world, but none of it happens without the monthly financial support of our Ambassador Club members. And right now, membership has more benefits than ever. I'm giving into a ministry that is helping to feed other people that have the same hunger that I do. Join now, and Michael Rood will send you the Ambassador Club Welcome Kit, an exclusive messenger bag stocked with teaching DVDs, Red Sea Crossing cards, and more. You'll also receive ambassador-only bonus gifts whenever you make a separate donation to receive the monthly love gift. Best of all, you'll get ambassador-only sale prices in our online bookstore several times throughout the year, plus exclusive invitations to Ambassador Club functions at Arood Awakening events. All it takes is a modest commitment of $100 per month or an annual gift of $1,200. Call now or visit the Arood Awakening website to join the Ambassador Club. When all the people were being baptized, immersed, Yeshua was also immersed. And while he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And a voice came from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist was not a Baptist, nor was his name John. His name was Yohanan. He was the son of an Aaronic priest, a Kohen and he was doing something of which every Israelite was intimately familiar. Yohanan ben Zechariah Hakon was calling the people to repentance and inviting them to immerse in the Jordan River as a mikvah. Mikvah in Hebrew means running water, and it is in the Hebrew culture and has always been total immersion in running water. Baptism is an English transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, which comes laden with pagan traditions that have nothing to do with biblical culture. However, when one confesses their sins or makes a solemn oath to God and then immerses in running water, it is a symbol, an act of faith that demonstrates that the past has been forever washed away. The past is more than forgiven, it is dead and buried. When you come up out of the water, you start life all over again. In some Orthodox Jewish traditions, as well as my own personal tradition, the rabbi shouts, born again, when one comes out of the water. But Yeshua did not come to Yohanan because he needed to repent of sin. No, his mikvah was to separate the beginning of his ministry from his former life, to make an abrupt change in the way Yeshua related to his friends and family. That was the moment Yeshua's ministry began. The King James Version of Luke tells us that upon the occasion of Yeshua's baptism, Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. How does one begin being about 30? In the Greek text, the context supplies the object. Yeshua began his ministry being about 30 years of age. And that is how several translations render it. 
But the English translators oversimplified the Greek. Yeshua began to be about 30 years of age. The word about is generally thought to mean approximately or around, but that misses the entire point. The word translated about is Jose in Greek, which means nearing but not having yet reached the point or number. It is a precise mathematical statement that allows us to pinpoint not only the year, but the very day Yeshua's ministry began. His ministry began on the day of his mikvah, February 16th, 27 of the Common Era. From his immersion in the Jordan until he immerses his followers with the Holy Spirit on the day of Shavuot, Pentecost, it will be exactly 70 weeks, precisely 490 days will have been completed. It is the second prophetic layer of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. Yeshua was born on Tishri 15 in the year 3 BCE. It is now the winter of 27 of the Common Era. Yeshua is in the middle of his 29th year. He is approaching, but has not yet reached the beginning of his 30th year. Though Matthew, Mark, and Luke chronicle these events, none of them were personally present at Yeshua's mikvah, nor his 40-day fast, nor his temptation in the wilderness. Yohanan was eyewitness to the confirming signs at Yeshua's mikvah, and what he reported to the gospel authors, he repeats until the day of his execution. When Yeshua came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove. It came down upon Yeshua and remained. I heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was the sign. This was the moment Yohanan had anticipated every day as he immersed thousands in the Dead Sea Valley. Yehovah had given him specific orders to call the nation to repentance and to mikvah in the Jordan. He was told, upon whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one. Yeshua's mikvah begins an unbroken chain of events that follows Yeshua for the next 70 weeks, 490 days. There is no guesswork. Living in Israel for the past 20 years, I know how long it takes to travel from one point to another. Many of the ancient Roman roads that link the villages of the Galilee are still traveled today. The lives of Israeli victims hang critically in the balance following events of terror, violence, and war. But there's another painful problem. Men, women, and children living in poverty. And you can be there for them. Visit us online at thelydiaproject.com. You'll find personal stories from the people who need you and the information you need to make a difference in their lives. When you give to The Lydia Project, you enable us to send help. Emotional and spiritual encouragement are especially needed during these critical days of recovery. Your support enables our ground team in the land of Israel to function as Yehovah intended, providing for the wounded soldiers, widows, orphans, and the poor. Help Israel give to the Lydia Project.
Yeshua, being filled with the Holy Spirit, came up from the Jordan and was immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by Hasatan. In those 40 days, he ate nothing. And when the 40 days had ended, he was hungry. Yeshua's mikvah begins an unbroken chain of events that follows Yeshua for the next 70 weeks, 490 days. There is no guesswork. Living in Israel for the past 20 years, I know how long it takes to travel from one point to another. Many of the ancient Roman roads that link the villages of the Galilee are still traveled today. In this series, we will follow Yeshua's ministry as it was detailed by all four of the gospel authors, as each brings to light distinctive details and fascinating facets of his life and ministry. The gospel chronology thus far. Yeshua is immersed in the Jordan at Beit Abarah and is immediately driven into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and nights. It is now day 41. He is hungry, and the adversary, or Hasatan in Hebrew, comes to tempt him. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Yeshua answered, It was said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of Yehovah. Matthew and Mark record Yeshua as saying, it is written, while Luke records, it was said. The fact remains, God spoke it, and then it was written by Moses in the Torah. Both statements are equally true and are mutually inclusive. This first temptation is a primary issue in each of the temptations. Yeshua's primary mission as the prophet that we must hear and obey is that he only speaks that which he hears and sees from heaven. It is written in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken, will not shema, hear and obey my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. I will make diligent inquiry and will judge accordingly. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, even that prophet shall die." Yeshua could have turned that stone into bread, but he had no word from heaven to do so. The prophet may never presume to speak a word or to act according to his own desires. He must always do the Father's will. If Yeshua presumes to command a miracle that the Father does not command, he disqualifies himself as the prophet, and he will die. Hasatan's temptations may appeal to the sense of self-preservation, but they do not constitute the Father's will. Yeshua responded with, it is written. If one does not know what is written in the Torah, one has no clue as to the nature or significance of the temptations. Hasatan then took Yeshua up into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All this authority will I give you and all the glory of these kingdoms for all that has been delivered to me. 
and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If you will bow down to me, all this will be yours. Hasidon claimed that all the authority and glory and wealth of the kingdoms of the world were delivered into his hand and that he had the authority to give it to anyone who bows the knee to him. Yeshua never challenged his jurisdiction or authority, but flatly refused the offer. Adam was originally given authority over the earth, and he was commanded to subdue it and rule over it. In his disobedience, Adam transferred his dominion into the hand of Hasatan, who now holds it fast until it is legally stripped from him. Even Shaul, the Apostle Paul, recognizing his authority, referred to Hasatan as the God of this age who has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe and obey the words of the prophet. Yeshua answered him, Get behind me, Satan, for it was said, You shall bow down before Yahovah your God, and him only shall you serve. In the Revelation, chapter five, the title deed to the earth is shown to be tragically sealed up. There is no hope, all is lost. John weeps uncontrollably. Then the resurrected lamb is introduced and the four living creatures fall on their faces before him. It is Yeshua alone who has overcome death and now has the authority to strip the seals of Satan's legal authority and to rule over the earth. What happens on earth when Yeshua strips the seals is the subject of the book of the Revelation. Hasatan then brought Yeshua to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. If you are the son of God, cast yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Yeshua answered, it was said, you shall not put Yehovah, your God, through your test. There are trials that God puts us through to test our character, but we are never to put God through our test. We are never to blaspheme or insult the Most High by implying that he has maleficent intentions or to make him prove anything to us. God is love, and he has made himself known through his written and his living word. No one really knows the Father but the Son, and to those to whom the Son will reveal him. When Hasatan concluded all his temptations, he left Yeshua for a season. 